This is the Econ Minute Podcast, where we try to bring the real world to economics and some economics to the real world. Along the way, you'll discover that this podcast is about more than economics, and it's more than a minute. I'm Eric Fruits. I'm an economist based in Portland, Oregon. My day job is in economic consulting, where I serve as an expert witness in litigation. I'm also an adjunct professor who will be teaching a course in urban economics this summer. Please visit the Econ Minute blog at econminute.com. It has almost daily updates. If you're looking for economic analysis, an expert witness, or a speaker at your next event, you can contact me through the blog at econminute.com or just email info at econminute.com. This week's podcast looks at what may be the worst solution for homelessness. We'll also look at the relationship between the millennial generation and their parents, and we'll also get a taste of Chinese wines. This is the Econ Minute Podcast. When you hear stories from Portland, Oregon, you often say to yourself, wait, you're joking. That's just a Portlandia skit. And sometimes the things coming out of Portland City Hall sounds like a really bad Portlandia skit. But a lot of times the stories aren't skits. They're true. Like now, when the mayor's solution to a downtown homeless camp is to buy some land under a bridge where the city will relocate the homeless population. Now remember, in other cities, we're trying to get the homeless out from underneath the bridge. In this case, the mayor wants to put them under the bridge. Oh, and get this. The bridge is a very, very Portland bridge. Cars and trucks are not allowed. Only mass transit, bikes, and pedestrians are allowed to use the bridge. The bridge is also called Tillicum Crossing, Bridge of the People. Yes, really, Bridge of the People. The mayor wants to put a homeless camp under a place called the Bridge of the People, where it really will be the Bridge of the People. No, it's not a bad skit. It's just a bad idea. And let's look at why it's a bad idea. Late last month, the mayor's office and one of the city commissioners proudly announced that they were finalizing a deal with the Oregon Department of Transportation to purchase a half-acre lot near the landing of this new bridge, the Tillicum Crossing Bridge of the People. Once the deal's completed, the mayor intends to relocate a camp called Right to Dream 2, also known as R2-D2. He wants to relocate the homeless population, which has been camping illegally on property at the entrance of downtown's troublesome Chinatown. Fifteen years ago, when Charlie Hales, the current mayor, was then a city commissioner, a group of homeless men and women set up camp under the west end of the Fremont Bridge, which is one of the major interstate bridges in Portland. They claimed the space was what was known as Dignity Village. They were eventually moved to city-owned space seven miles away from downtown and adjacent to the airport. Fifteen years later, this temporary camp is now a permanent settlement whose population is out of sight and out of mind of Portland's polite society. Fast forward to today. Once relocated, Right to Dream 2, R2-D2, would be deep in the heart of Portland's Central East Side Industrial District. It sounds gritty, and it is. Walk a quarter mile in most directions and you'll be walking through industrial zoned land, except west. Now if you walk west for a quarter mile, you'll end up in the Willamette River. Now while the Central East Side Industrial District has changed a lot over the past few years, it even has a streetcar. It has been and remains primarily an active hub for distribution and manufacturing. And that's consistent with its zoning, which is zoning for industrial uses. Now if you think about it, the main purpose of zoning laws is to separate what we call incompatible uses. Uses that don't go good together. The goal is to limit the impact of negative externalities and spillovers. And when we think of incompatible uses in industrial land, we tend to focus on noise, vibrations, traffic, 
grit. All those are associated with the industrial uses. And these noise, vibrations, and traffic disrupt homeowners and renters, so the zoning tries to keep industrial and residential uses separate. But more and more we're learning that spillovers go the other way too. For example, increased pedestrian traffic creates a hazard in an active industrial area where you have heavy trucks and freight trains in action day and night. And if people living nearby believe that they have a right to unimpeded access to an industrial area 24-7, accidents, including fatal accidents, can be expected to increase. Last year, in 2014, in Multnomah County alone, which is the county where Portland is, 10 people were killed or injured while trespassing on railroad property. I'll say that again. They were killed or injured trespassing on railroad property. These weren't people who worked for the railroad who were injured on the job. These were people who did not belong there who ended up getting injured or killed. The site selected by Mayor Hales and one of the city commissioners is only a few feet, literally, only a few feet away from an active railway line, an active freight railway line. Even worse, the residents of Right to Dream 2, R2-D2, would have to cross the railroad tracks in order to access pathways such as the East Bank Esplanade, the Springwater Corridor, or even to access a bridge that would cross the Willamette River to take them downtown to get some services that are usually provided to the homeless. After years of industrial use, this land may also be contaminated with toxins, rendering the space unsuitable for camping. Residents may only have a sleeping bag between themselves and the potentially contaminated land. Looking up above in the air, emissions from diesel electric trains and diesel trucks could cause or exacerbate respiratory illnesses in a population that is already subject to opportunistic diseases. What is the city's long-term liability for moving the homeless population to a potentially contaminated site? What is the city's long-term liability if one of those residents of Right to Dream 2, R2-D2, get hit by a train? Is the railroad responsible? Is the city responsible? Is no one responsible? The real question, though, is not where to put Right to Dream 2, R2-D2, or the rest of our homeless population. The question is why. Why? What went wrong with our city's approach to its at-risk population that homeless camps like Right to Dream 2 or Dignity Village become the preferred and permanent solution? The city claims Right to Dream 2's move is a temporary solution to a long-term problem. So was Dignity Village. And after we've seen after 15 years of Dignity Village, the structures may be temporary, but the camp has lived on for years. A tent city under a bridge is not housing, and in no way does it represent an acceptable permanent solution to homelessness. While immediate services and housing options need to be made available for Portland's most vulnerable citizens, institutionalizing permanent homelessness by shifting residents to city-owned land is an admission of failure. It says, this is the best we can do. Now, Portland, in contrast, calls itself the city that works. We even had a contest to give ourselves the name the city that works. And we can do better. And we must do better. Our podcast from two weeks ago had a discussion of the millennial generation, also known as Gen Y. It was from a speech that was given at the Portland State Center for Real Estate annual conference. And some of the things that were interesting out of that speech were the relationship between the millennial generation, also known as Gen Y, and the baby boom generation, many of whom are their parents. Some people call these two generations the barbell generations because on the one end you have a big group of baby boomers. On the other end, you have a big group of millennial and Gen Ys. And then in the middle, the bar that's relatively small are the Gen Xers. 
Now, one of the more mind-blowing revelations that came out of this speech was that the Gen Y, millennial generation, actually shares many of the same values as their parents, the boomers, and that they and their parents actually like each other. So much so that they actually make an effort to live near each other, if not with each other. Now, I thought this was a really interesting piece of information, but I always like to see more evidence. And just this weekend, there's a feature on the New York Times Vox publication that reinforces this point. And what they noticed was that MTV, back in 2013, announced that it was going to overhaul its content. Remember the MTV generation that started off with music videos and then moved into reality shows, many of which kind of made grown-ups look dumb. Well, in 2013, they announced that they were going to rejigger their content because they found that young people today aren't rebelling against their parents. They like their parents. In fact, they're moving in with them and they don't want to leave. And so they had to change their content to make the parents be cast in a better light in order to attract more millennial Gen Y viewers. So that's an interesting piece of information that, again, supports the relationship between Gen Y and their parents, the boomers. A few years ago, I did some consulting and testimony regarding a land use matter for a vineyard owner and winemaker. He had bought 1,600 acres of wheat land in the Walla Walla area of Oregon and Washington, home to some of the best red wines in the world. He wanted to subdivide that wheat land into 40-acre vineyards that he would sell off, and perhaps people could put homes on them. But because of Oregon's one-of-a-kind land use laws, the process required a major hearing before a state board and also required expert testimony, which I provided. As we were touring his existing vineyards, the winemaker told me to keep an eye on China and Chinese wines because someday they would be big in the U.S. His thinking went like this. First, anywhere that you could grow apples, you could grow grapes. Then, in the 1980s, China shrunk its military considerably to free up resources for economic development. Because of that, nearly one men were rotated out of the military. And because of the one-child policy, there was a shortage of potential brides. So the Chinese government determined that these ex-military guys needed some gainful employment to keep them busy. Many of these former military men were given agricultural land and trained to run apple orchards. As their agricultural skills improved, the apple orchards were converted to vineyards. And because winemaking is a natural extension of the vineyards, the Chinese would quickly then learn how to make wines, and then learn how to make good wines. So now, today, it looks like that someday for Chinese wines is almost here. The Wall Street Journal reports that China now accounts for nearly 11% of the land devoted to vineyards in the world. They rank right behind Spain in the amount of land devoted to vineyards. On top of that, the Wall Street Journal says that the quality of Chinese wines is now improving and have begun to win awards outside of China. In addition, the French luxury goods conglomerate LVMH Wet Hennessy Louis Vuitton has built a winery in a place that they call Shangri-La. It's in the Himalayan foothills, and they aim to produce, the China, produce China's best and probably most expensive wine. Wet Hennessy, the unit that makes Dom Perignon Champagne, already produces sparkling wines in a region of China with a bottle selling for $27. Looking forward, you know Chinese wines will really hit the U.S. market when you see them on the shelves of your local Costco or Trader Joe's. Thank you for listening to the Econ Minute Podcast, where we try to bring the real world to economics and some economics to the real world. I hope you enjoyed it. Please visit the Econ Minute blog at econminute.com as almost daily updates. You can also contact me through the blog or just email info at econminute.com. 
Drop in next week for the latest Econ Minute podcast.